0: What's up, everybody online? What's up, everybody outside? We love you. We see you. We're glad we're here. I'm going to do some warm-up, and, and I need you to trust me, okay? We're going to build some trust together. So, I know some of you are used to when pastors or Bible teachers or Bible study people start telling you, hey, raise your hand if you kind of sit back in your seat and you're like, nice try. Somebody did that one time, and then they changed the story really quick, and then all of a sudden I felt like I didn't love Jesus because I had my hand in the air. And stuff. This is not that. This is, we're going to ease into this together it's Christmas it's December and so I want to talk Christmas traditions as we warm up okay so first thing this is just gonna be like uh, is this your thing is this your tradition okay so if it is you can raise hand if it is you can say woohoo oh, you just make noise whatever you are whatever you in so Christmas traditions. If it's you, raise your hand. How many are Christmas cookies people? How many are Christmas? We don't do it in our house, but there's always people around us who do, so it is better that I don't add more. Good good job. Okay, we're doing all right here. How many are tamales people? Christmas, praise the Lord. Do you know I did not know that was a thing until a decade ago when I moved out here, and I was like, this is the promised land. This is where... This is where, this is, you guys understand Christmas on the West Coast, and, and that's a beautiful thing. Okay. God love you. Are there any Elf on the Shelf people? Any Elf on a Shelf people? Okay. Any people who, who go to bed and you forgot the Elf on the Shelf and then you had to run out the next morning before the kids saw the Elf? Okay. We got it. We're tracking with Elf on the Shelf. What do we got? Uh, Christmas movies, people. Christmas movies. Okay. Uh, let me just run a few of the favorites. Uh, uh, what about Elf? How many are Elf people? Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's probably all downhill. Home Alone, though? Anybody on the Home Alone bandwagon? Uh, what about the original? Like, It's a Wonderful Life. Black and white. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Hallmark, baby. Let's go. Uh, what do we got? Oh, okay. Here's one I've never understood, but I'm willing to embrace you in Jesus' name for church unity. Open a present the night before, people. Yeah. Open a pre- Really? Yeah. What? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Okay. Interestingly enough, most of you are all on this side. I don't know what that is about this morning, but we're going to flow with it in Jesus' name. Okay. Uh, All right. This one's kind of, this one's going to be a 50-50. Okay. This is, there's no picture for this one, but but it's still a survey question. So here's what I'm trying to explain. We're going to talk about two different groups. There are the let Christmas roll for a while, people. And there are, the day Christmas is done, I want this stuff out of my house, people, okay? So, let Christmas roll is like, we're staying in pajamas between now and New Year's Eve. We're gonna just keep the stuff around, the decorations up, but, you know, leave the tree, we'll take down the lights in March, that, all right, that's, and then there's like, get this stuff out of here, people. It's like, all right, Christmas is done, get this stuff out of my house, wrapping paper in the trash, like get the tree out front as quick as we can, that, okay? How many people are let it roll, people? Let it roll, people? How many are like the get this stuff out of here? Okay, are, 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 Grinches unite. Okay, I am that way. You are my people. The day after Christmas, we all have different ways of handling what happens after Christmas on the day after Christmas, that sort of thing. I'm going a, I'm to a get this out of here because honestly, I love Christmas. love the holidays. But there's something about the new year that just gets me fired up. I'm like, I am, I'm a maniac. All right, type A, if you know what type A is. Enneagram three, if you know what enneagram is. Myers-Briggs ENTJ. My love language is productivity to a fault. And so, I've created this Christmas tradition in our household, and we call it Goals Day. And usually a day or two after Christmas, I like, I wake up just as excited for Goals Day as I am for Christmas itself. On Goals Day, you set all kinds of goals. But here's what you do. We look at our life and we take notes. So it's like two laptops on the table, big piece of brown paper with a sharpie marker to make some plans and dream dreams and then we look at – I do this like for every year for the last five or six years now – we look at our life relationally, financially, emotionally uh, romantically what do we want to do what we want to accomplish careers all this stuff we look at where we've been and then we take that into account and we make plans for where we want to go it's so cool we've done it so long now now before you even get to make your goals we read all the goals from last year and we're like that one was rough okay that one went good and the, you know that whole thing and and so we're good at setting goals now that's my day after Christmas thing but here, here's what I know okay No matter who you are or where you land in the day after Christmas spectrum, there comes a day for all of us when we're just ready to get our life back on track. Come on, right? There comes a day, no matter, even if you're a let it ride person, you're like, tree's here till February. Okay, that's fine. There comes that time when you're like, I got to get going. I I want my you're like, I got some pounds to lose, I got some plans, okay. I gotta clean this place up. I'm gonna start looking ridiculous if we still have sand out there waving at the neighborhood in March. And so there comes a time for all of us when we're just ready to get our lives back on track, get our thing back in order, get it back together. And I want to tell you something. Here's what I know. The day, listen to this, the day after the first Christmas ever, that's exactly where everyone was two there was a census Um, held by Caesar Augustus. You've probably heard this if you've heard the Christmas story. Uh, You know, in the year of Caesar Augustus declared a census, and if you don't know what censuses are, or censai? What's plural of census? Somebody look that up and tell me later. Uh, There was a census. Uh, Caesar Augustus holds a census, and and the census is this huge interruption. Rome would do these from time to time because they would want to know how many people were in this area, what kind of tax revenue can we expect because we want to do expansion, we want to do wars, we want to do roads, we want to do all this stuff, but we have to know who's here, what kind of revenue and resource we can expect, and so these censuses were actually a common thing in this time. Sometimes they were all over the place in, like, the entire Roman world. Sometimes it'd be a new region that they had just annexed. As a matter of fact, historically, you can find the census that Jesus, uh, that happened the night when Jesus was born. It's called the census of Quirinius. And, and it was actually just one in the area of Judea, the, the kind of area where the Jews had settled, what we would call Palestine or Israel. And, and the, the censuses were just this huge interruption because the, the way they would do it is you'd have to go from wherever you were settled and living back to your hometown. Everybody would have to travel to their hometown. It would be this interruption. It's mandatory. You're going to leave work. You're going to leave family. You're going to leave your kids behind. You got to go back to your hometown. You got to check in so Rome knows how to tax you and what comes next in your life and all this stuff. And so it would take months. Mary and Joseph had to journey 90 miles to his hometown to check in and do their census. If you ever wondered how the heck did Joseph have a pregnant woman who's about nine months pregnant on the back, back of a donkey for a 90-mile ride, it's the census of Quirinius. That's what they had to do. That's where they had to go. Had to check in, pay their taxes, and, and that sort of thing. And that's the backdrop of the birth. Christ now some some series trying to chime in and help me with the census of Corinthians but this the census happens until when, when it was over everyone is just taking this big breath everyone just wants their life back everybody just wants to get home everybody is worn out and exhausted and no one knew On that night, towards the end of this census, a savior had been born. Not just a savior, but a king. A king who would not just change things in that world, in that day and age, but a king who would change things in all. All of our world, from every age to come, a king had been born in the middle of the night. And here's the crazy thing, you and I know so much about the Jesus story. We're like, oh yeah, there was a census, and then Mary's on a donkey, and then they're in a manger, but can I tell you something? That night that Jesus was born, everything changed, but no one yet knew it. One of Jesus' closest followers and friends, John, wrote about it later, And he said it like this in John chapter one, verse 14, the word became flesh And made his dwelling amongst us that word word there means Lagos and it's a crazy compelling sentence and it means God's heart God's dream God's everything he's ever wanted God's light God's love God's dream come true for humanity became human but not just a human he didn't just simply take up residence as another person he came as a king, a king who would set up a kingdom, a king who would invite you and invite me to live within this kingdom where we let his reign rule over our lives, where we would advance this kingdom by living lives of love and self-sacrifice and kindness and generosity. He would establish a kingdom that would be like nothing else and the whole world would change because of it. Why do our calendars say A.D. and B.C. or B.C.E.? We know what you really are. It is before Christ and after Christ. Why can you go up this coast and there's towns like San Bernardino, Los Angeles, San Diego, and every single major city is named after a Christian person? Why is it that hospitals all across the globe still are named St. Matthew's or St. John's. Because on that night, a king was born. And we can't afford to miss that today. I want to take you into a couple different parts of the birth story of Jesus that you may not have heard before. The first one is this moment that exists between Mary Jesus' birth mother, and an angel that comes to visit her. Luke chapter 1, verse 30 and 31, it says this. Angel shows up. They usually say this when they show up. Do not be afraid. Mary, you found favor with God, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. Mary, although she is a virgin, is conceived with a baby through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this angel says you're going to give him this name, Jesus, translates literally in the Greek or original languages to something like Joshua, which means God is our salvation or the Lord saves. And then the angel continues in verse 132, and please don't miss what you see in blue coming up here he will be great and he will be called son of the most high the lord will give him the what the throne of his father david and he will reign over jacob's descendants forever now pay attention this is royalty language this is king language this is kingdom language and it means jesus is not just a savior or a cute baby that goes in your nativity scene it means he was the son of a, god, a son of god he came as a king and what does it say yet and his kingdom will Never end, meaning he is the one true ruler of the universe today. It means he's the one true king of Israel to this day. And most importantly, he's the one true ruler of your life and mine today. And the question or the statement that we're going to sit on today is this simple idea. Jesus came to earth as a king. And again, I know this is like a time of the year for nostalgia and nativity and decorations and tamales, but the most important truth you could get your head around this December is the simple fact that yes, Savior, yes, born in the manger in Bethlehem on that day, but most importantly also king. And here's why that matters. So often we try and relegate Jesus to something less than king. For some of us he's kind of a helper. And, and oh gosh, I I, I got this faith now because my life was going kind of bad and I reached out in the middle of the night and I prayed this prayer. I said, Jesus, could you help me with this thing over there? And it worked out for me. And so then I kind of moved in and, and my faith kind of exists with me and my helper Jesus. And when things are rough or tough I just ask him for help and he helps me. Or he's my father in insurance. Like somebody told me a long time ago there's two places you go when you die. One's heaven and one's hell. And I certainly don't want to go to hell. And so I said, well, what do I got to do? And they told me, pray this prayer, do these things, and you go to heaven and not hell. And so I'm so glad I have Jesus because he's the one who's going to keep me out of hell. Some of us have adopted him as our conscience reliever. I I do things I don't want to do. Sometimes I'm a person I don't want to be. It's hard to look myself in the eye. And I've heard that this Jesus is a forgiver. And so I said, Forgive me, Jesus, and kind of makes things easier to carry as I move through life. He's a personal comforter. He's there for me when I need, like emotionally. I need that support. I need that help. And can I tell you something? I believe Jesus to be these things. I've, I've got nothing if I haven't bet my life on his salvation. I've got nothing if I don't have him as my strength and my support. But can I tell you something? I've got none of those if I don't first have him as my king. Here's the question. Is Jesus my king? Who is he to you? Is he just that fire insurance, I'm going to pray that prayer one day, kind of get my life straightened out when I need to, but I just know it'll all work out because I said Jesus. Is he the uh, situation fixture? Like I kind of make a mess of things, and so I go, Jesus, take care of it, and he, he does it, and then I'll check back in when things get messy again. Or is he the king of our lives? Because there's a difference. And can I tell you something, no matter where you're at in your faith, this is really the first question that matters before all the other questions. Like if you came to me and and you're like, Matt, okay. Our culture is getting goofy. I don't really see, okay, they're telling, I heard the church says, you know, the kids are supposed to wait to have sex until they're married. And how are they supposed to do that in this day and age? Because nobody's getting married until they're 30. And so I don't even know if I want to send my kids into the world that innocent, I kind of, isn't that just an old tradition we need to do with so things get better? And like, can't we just kind of let them grow and mature into this culture as they see fit? And I would look at you and I'd say, I don't know. It depends on whether or not Jesus is your king. If you're like, yeah, but wait, what's up with sexuality? And if two people love each other, can't they do whatever they want? How could it be hurting if they know, you know, it's going to be good. And and are we really going to condemn that? Like, should I do that? Should I do what they're doing? And I would say, I don't know. Is, Is Jesus your king? And you'd be like, I'm struggling in my marriage. Like, there used to be all this passion, and we used to be so connected, but it's all kind of fizzled out. And, and at work, I'm getting more attention from them, and, and it kind of makes me feel those things again. And I'm still young, and I could get out of this while I can. And, and maybe it's not too late for me to drop that one, pick up this one, start a new life. It could be better for me long term, don't you think? And I'd say, I don't know. Is Jesus the king of your life? Like, is the covenant you made when you say marriage a a covenant that says, I'm going to love them like Jesus loved me? And if it is, I can tell you exactly what you should do. But if Jesus isn't king for you, can I tell you something? I've got nothing to say to you. I don't even mean it to be mean. I just mean like, I can't help you. And here's where we bonk this up as a church. We've taken all this Jesus is the king and we've tried to impose it on people outside the walls of the church. Like, why would I try and tell somebody how they're supposed to live if they don't have the same operating system as me? We act so shocked. Like, can you believe Balenciaga did blank on their bags with the children and the stuff? I go, no, I can absolutely believe that. Because when you have no moral fiber and no king in your life other than profit margin, why would you not do whatever it takes to make as much money as you can? When when the culture says this and you can identify as that, and God bless the entire community because there are real people with real struggles in that life. But I'm just saying like when the church comes along and goes, the nerve of you people, why? They haven't accepted Jesus as their king. And somewhere we've traded out extending the unconditional love of King Jesus into the world around us for trying to force people into a mold that they've never even accepted for themselves. And so I would tell you as your pastor, I want you to go as far with Jesus as you could possibly go. I I mean, like, I hope for you in 10 years... You look nothing like you look now because you and Jesus have just walked so many miles been formed to, comp- like just, I just hope you and Jesus just go as far as you could possibly go. I hope you look like him. I hope you talk like him. I want a light in your eyes. I want you to be like, I am so embarrassed by the things I used to say and do 10 years ago because I've changed so much because I've just given so, light, so much of my life to Jesus and, and who he is. And, and I want all of that for you. I want all of that for me. I want all of that for our kids that are learning about Jesus over there. But none of it happens. Until we decide that Jesus is king. I want to walk into this from one other angle. I want to take you to Matthew 2, verse 1. So we're zooming out of our first story and we're going into another angle. And it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So Jesus is born, the angels do announce that glorious savior has come. He is in fact the world's one true king. And then off over here in Jerusalem, some magi come to visit King Herod. Let me tell you about King Herod. So the way Rome worked, there was Caesar Augustus. He was over the entire thing, but their empire was so expansive, they would have different kings or miniature emperors that would rule the little pockets and places. And so the King Herod oversaw an area called Judea. They called him, his nickname was the king of the Jews because he oversaw the area with all the Jewish people in it. It was more than that, but it was mostly that. And and King Herod, as a matter of fact, was a very shrewd ruler. He ruled for 40 years over Judea, and in a time that visceral and violent, you've got to have guts to stay in charge of things for that long. He was uh, very egotistical. Uh, Historians talk about how he built tons of crazy buildings all over the place, and it wasn't because he loved buildings, but he was obsessed with something that would live past him. He had this huge plan to divide up his little area and and give it to his children. When he died, he actually did that, Uh, and so we know that about King Herod, and he's mining his business. He too has just finished the census of Quirinius. He's chilling in the temple and he has no idea what's happened in Bethlehem. And then all of a sudden there's a knock on his door and there's this group of magi who show up. Now, magi, it is not three kings. It is not like the song says. It's a little different than that. These magi were these wise men who would be temple advisors to their king in the east. They would study all kinds of old religious texts. They would all study, they had scrolls and probably the Old Testament writings of the Pentateuch and they probably had other scrolls from other religions and then they were also astrologers who studied the stars and and they would basically do the earliest forms of what we would call astrology and then they would take all of that, they would roll it together and they would use those things that they had learned and seen to become advisors to their king. So they're studying the stars and they're reading their scriptures and all of a sudden something happens. If you go to the next verse for me, it says this. The Magi knock on the door. King Herod answers. They say some words that would change everything for Herod. Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Time out. Now, again, we know this story. Uh, Some of you have heard this story every year for the last 50 years. And you're like, oh yeah, this is where King Herod gets upset. He, he kind of gets angered by what's going on, and so he, he decides that he's he gonna do something about it. Can I tell you something? When this happened, Herod did not know what had happened. Do you see that? When, when this happened, when, you know, he's minding his business, he's like, whoo, we got through that census, just like you and just like me. Like when you have a huge work project and the project's finally done, and you go, oh, King Herod. He's minding his business. He's taking a breath out. There's a knock on the door, and it sees wise men from the east. And by the way, it probably wasn't just three. It's a group of them. It's a bunch of different people, all kinds of people from all over. There's an entourage. There's security guards. There's people bearing gifts. There's servants. There's these magi. And they come to him, and they go, hey, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We're, we're here to worship him. To which Herod would say, well, what are you talking about? Herod's nickname was the king of the Jews. Unbeknownst to him, this group of magi show up in his life and they go, "Um, hey, where's the one who everybody is saying is the king of the Jews? We're here to worship him. This would have rattled Herod. He would have had no idea what was going on up to this point, which is exactly why in verse 3 it says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Herod, uh, the the old England, or the, the New King James version says, he was shooketh. He was startled. He was scared about this because he was supposed to be the one who is the king of the Jews. He's the one who's got a plan for letting everybody who comes after him inherit his estate. He was the one that was supposed to be honored, revered, and worshipped in that part of town. And all of a sudden, unbeknownst to him, this group comes and they say, hey, we're, we're here to worship the one true king. Now, here's the problem. If the Magi would have rolled up that day and said, hey, we're here to, uh, we're here to pay honor to this great rabbi who's going to be born and he's going to be a wise teacher in, in all of Israel and he'll be remembered for his teachings forever, there's no problem there. If they said, we're here to, to meet the miraculous prophet who's going to heal some people from time to time, uh, give some fish and loaves out from time to time, and, and it's all good, well, there's no problem here. If it's just wise teacher, nice guy, prophet, they've seen a thousand prophets come and go, but Herod is disturbed. Why? Because they said there is a new king in town, which means kingdoms are eventually going to collide and people are going to have to choose which king it is that they are going to serve with their lives. So then Herod, verse 4, it says, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? I'm. Fa- I gotta fast forward. We got a lot of ground to cover. But stick, stick with me. He'll stick with me. He goes. Where, where's this king? He grabs the guys from the temple, the Bible scholars, and he goes, open up the scrolls, put them on the table. Come on, it's goals day, and we've got a goal, and we've got to find where this Messiah is going to be born, because we got to put an end to this one who's supposed to be the new king. And so they pull out their teachings, and they start teaching Herod about the Messiah. And he's going, God promised that a king is coming. God promised that one day there would be one final king, and God would send him, and he'd be born of a virgin, and he would be this little town called Bethlehem, and, and his family would raise him up, and they start telling him all this stuff. He says, where is this Messiah? And Herod. Herod. Herod makes an important jump there in his mind and in his theology because he realizes that this Christ, this one is born, it's in the scrolls, the stars in the sky are all pointing to the fact that a new king is here. Now how come come this feels like new to us, right? How come we've heard the Herod thing a whole bunch of times and you're like, oh crap, this was more important than I realized. Here's why. We've taken the word... Christ, and and we've, we've dumbed it down. We've taken this idea of Christ and we've kind of made it like a nickname to Jesus, a a last name to Jesus, you know, like, oh, there's Jesus Christ. And I think, or maybe Christ is a middle name. Isn't it Jesus Christ of Nazareth? I, I don't know how that works. We've taken this idea of Christ and we've made it so much less than it meant on those who said the word in Jesus' day. This word Messiah was in the Old Testament. It means anointed one. The Greek New Testament translates the same idea, the same word as Christ. When you hear Messiah, when you hear Christ, here's what you should think. The one true king of humanity. Literally in the Greek text, this verse that we just looked at, if you go to the next one for me, it says, he inquired of them, where is, in those two words right in the middle, or bottom right, so middle line, the two words on the right, it says, where is the Christ? Where is the one true King? Where is the one who has promised to come? Where is the one whose kingdom is going to collide with mine and with yours? Where's the Christ? I think of it like this. Let's come up for air. I think of it like this. Mike Tyson. Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, Mike Tyson was the baddest heavyweight boxer to walk the planet for quite some time, and and I, I'm a fan. I'm not gonna lie. I have watched so many old YouTube videos of his old fights. It's like poetry in motion, he's got a unique story. He went into obscurity for a while, like, remember like, remember the Hangover era when Mike Tyson was in Hangover? I mean, I didn't watch it, but I know you guys did, so uh, he was in Hangover, and he was really obscure, but then Mike Tyson has kind of come back into the public eye, uh, I think he has a podcast right now that's doing really well and all this stuff, but, but there's something interesting, if you watch interviews with Mike Tyson, if you see anything, people have a nickname for him, but it's so much more than a nickname. When they talk to Mike Tyson, they call him Champ. What do you think about this, champ? Hey, these two guys are boxing. How do you Who do you think is going to win, champ? Hey, champ, what do you think of the state of boxing today? And can I tell you something? What they get here that we need to get today? When they call Mike Tyson champ, they're not calling him by a nickname. It's not like Mike Champ Tyson with parentheses around it. When they call Mike Tyson champ, they're speaking of who he really is. When they call Mike Tyson champ, they're talking about his resume and his credentials. When we call Jesus Christ, it's the same thing. We're not talking nickname. When we say Christ, we're saying he is the one true ruler of the universe and the one true ruler of our lives today, which brings us back to the question Is Jesus your king? Is he your king? I'll take you all the way down to the place where the rubber meets the road here. Band, you guys could come on up and we'll wrap on this. Is Jesus king of your life? Here's why it matters. Some of you crave order down to the core of your being. The place you grew up was so uncertain. There were things that were there one day and they weren't there the next you lived in a constant state of change, you lived several different places, and you didn't know when you woke up in the morning if the day in front of you was gonna be anything like the day before. And because of that, you have a palpable, tangible taste for order in your life. It shows up in the way you put things on shelves, it shows up in the way you make your bed, it shows up in the way that things go for you if you get knocked off of your schedule, because a part of you Is dying for order. Can I tell you something? The one true place you will find order for your life is under the Lordship of King Jesus. Colossians 1 says it like this, the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In Him, All things were created. You want order? In Him, things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether powers or thrones or authorities. All things have been created through Him. He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. You want order? You give your life to King Jesus and his reign and his rule will turn your chaos into order for you. Some of us here have a craving, like an innate craving for a secure male figure. Not to get too personal, but some of you have a desire for that secure male figure because one was supposed to be there and never really was. And there's a part of you that knows something's missing and so much of the life you are building is in response to that craving. And I'm just here to tell you in all of the most redemptive, beautiful, and secure ways possible, Jesus is the secure male figure. There's not a more secure male figure. He knows you, He loves you, and He has promised you that He will never leave you. Ever. Uh, This matters because some of us have been through unthinkable pain this year. And it's like pain, pain. Like in high school, I thought I had gone through pain, but then this thing is happening to me. It's not going away. And it hurts about seven times worse than any of that pain ever did. And I can't fix it. And I would tell you you're right. But I can tell you that King Jesus can. And true help for you and restoration and freedom and redemption comes when you quit trying to fix it yourself. You lay down your life before him and allow him to fix it in ways that you never could. He's a good king. But you have to choose him. He is lovely, he is powerful, and he's gentle. And he will not force himself or his rule on you. It's something you must select for yourself. But a day is coming when that choice must be made. C.S. Lewis did a series of radio talks. They were the original podcast back in England in the 50s, 1950s. They were so powerful that somebody grabbed them and turned them into this little book called The Case for Jesus Christ. And he said something so powerful about the reign and rule of Jesus. I want to share it with you to finish today. He writes, I wonder whether people who ask God... To interfere openly and directly in our world, quite realize what it'll be like when he does. In other words, like people who are like, hey, God, fix that, and change this one for me, and do some of that God stuff over here with this situation. Not on me, but on them. And he goes, I wonder if you realize what it's going to be like when King Jesus comes and actually moves in our world again. He says, when that happens, when God intervenes, it is the end of the world. When the author walks on the stage, the play is over. God is going to invade all right. But what's the good of saying you're on his side then? What's the point of saying you serve a king when the king comes to take over? When you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream, and something else, something it never entered your head to conceive comes crashing in, something so beautiful to some of us and so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left. For this time, it'll be God without disguise, not a little baby in a manger, not a teacher on a hillside, an old rabbi, no, 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 God without disguise, something so overwhelming that it'll strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It'll be too late then to choose your side. There's no saying you choose to lie down when it's been, become impossible to stand up. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we have really chosen, whether we realize it before or not. Now, today, this moment is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. Is Jesus your King? We're gonna finish by singing a song that's more like a prayer, more like a declaration, more like us just saying, yes, that's what I want. No, I'm not perfect. But man, Jesus, I know you're better running my life than I am. I want it in your hands, not my own. And I need you. If anything ever good is going to come of this life, would you stand? I'm going to pray, and then we'll move into one last song that's like our prayer together.